Welcome back to Starts With Your Podcast, and this podcast is a little tiny special, an election special, a political rant special, if you're into politics, with a really good friend of mine, James Maloney, um, who is a, not only does he own his own recruitment business, but he studied in university history and politics, and spent, um, uh, well, and spends a lot of time chatting to me about politics. So far, we've had very interesting conversations, Um, and this episode is literally what a typical conversation between me and James sounds like. So I hope you enjoy a political rant with me and James. Well, hello, James. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Should we tell the audience how many times we've tried recording the podcast? Or should we uh, this is attempt number six, I think. I this? think it is. I think it is. Oh, we've wow. had sound problems. We've had... Uh, other issues which we w- may go into, I don't know, in this podcast, and a few other things uh, on top of that. But um, yeah, so James, tell everyone who you are and why. Uh, <laughs> hello, everyone. Uh, I am James Maloney, owner, operator, and pretty much the entire workforce of Clinical Selection. Yes. Um, I am a headhunter working in the human health space, so medical, scientific, uh, specifically life sciences, uh, medical engineering, devices, pharmaceuticals, private healthcare, uh, pretty much anything and everything to do with human health and illness. Yeah, yeah. Anything kind of, yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually, for your sector, isn't it? Where I do anything where it builds into a mechanical thing, you do anything that solves people's issues basically no i didn't think of it like that actually it's a really good way of putting it and how long you been doing this now for how long you been running your own um i started in uh started june last year so what so you passed that one year mark yeah about about a year and a half in now yeah and we talk quite a lot. <laughs> days, Mark's wife does refer to me as his boyfriend at this point. Um, it's true. It's true. Um, she does get worried. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, so no, this this the great thing about me and Joe talk a lot, and we we always seem to end up. We, we talk about recruitment quite a lot. We, we we have helped each other out quite a bit as well on certain things. But also we talk about politics quite a lot. Um, yes. And the reason we talk about politics quite a lot, because you're probably one of about four people in my entire life that actually knows what they're talking about. Why is that, James? Why do you know what you're talking about? Uh, so I did a history and politics degree, <laughs> um, which was uh, the, the politics side was as tedious as it sounds. Um, and ironically, about half of that degree was about the EU, so it's about to become completely irrelevant, potentially, or perhaps not. Who or knows? Not. I know, I know. I, I was thinking, actually, when we started talking about we're going to do a pol- podcast together, whether to start doing a podcast talking about politics or talking about recruitment, and then, and then we said, let's merge them together and talk about recruitment and politics and how it's affecting... Yeah. Us in that sense. I thought, whoa, what a cool and interesting podcast. This is going to be the number one podcast for everyone to listen to. I thought, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm ambitious, but we like it. <laughs> no, it's, we, basically, this podcast is pretty much going to be uh, what a conversation between you and I sounds like yeah. <laughs> in, most, in most days. Um, so we recorded one, we never put it out because of a sound quality issue. 
about Boris Johnson and Brexit and where we're at with Brexit. And you started off by saying something quite profound. I didn't realise where we, why Brexit is such a, a, a game changer for politics and politicians at the moment. Do you want to kind of talk about that? What you're saying about bringing back capital punishment and stuff like that? Yeah. So this, this is the whole problem, I think, with Brexit in Parliament at the minute is that I think actually one of the few things that Boris Johnson has very correctly identified. And this is a bit of a bizarre thing because actually he's completely lying about what his past stance on this is. But Brexit is one of those areas where the opinion of the general public does not align with the opinion of any of the main parties or or until recently any of the main parties or with the political class in general. The other issue where that's a, a major thing being capital punishment and immigration, which I guess you can tie in with the Brexit issue again. Yeah, and um, if you listen to them now talk about immigration they're very standoffish they won't quite commit i mean pretty patel yesterday uh thursday the what was, what was the date yesterday thursday the 14th of november she couldn't quite answer the the immigration question and the same with jeremy corbyn as well yesterday he couldn't quite answer the, the immigration question so it's, it's still out to pasture these questions aren't they yeah it's a funny one and pretty patel is a, is a very interesting example of this actually because she's one of these people who uh, is in political terms a, a a right-wing monster i think is the only way to describe her, quite frankly but interestingly is aligned with the general public on all of these issues where the political class diverge she, she's very very pro-hanging quite vocally so yeah she, bizarrely as you know a, a what, second or third generation immigrant i think she is herself is very anti-immigration um, i find fascinating by the way yes, but it's, it's it a is, very very yeah. odd stance i think for but you see it, and it's not unique to us. You see it in America as well. There are an awful lot of, sort of second and third generation, yes. uh, you know, Latin American families who are quite pro-Trump and pro-wall on the southern states and with the kind of attitude of, well, we've got in and got ours and kind of pull the ladder up and screw everyone else. Mm. Mm. But that's the thing with, I know we've slightly divulged here to Pretty Patel, but that's the thing with those, I'm going to call them right-wing politicians. They, they, they're not right-right-wing, are they? They're... They're kind of no. I mean, Pretty Patel is genuinely right wing. I would she's, say she's yeah. She's one proper, of the few yeah. who is. Um, she's, she's ten to twelve, isn't she? Oh, sorry, ten past twelve, isn't yeah. she? She's, she's not, you know, Nazis, which is half past. No, she doesn't, she <laughs> doesn't want to build death camps, but no. she would quite like to hang pedos on national television. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas, whereas I think where she's where she's at, Corbyn is at on the left. About yeah, the same. I, would, I would agree. I think that's probably a fairly. She, she is as right wing as Corbyn uh, is left wing. Yeah, from where Corbyn is left wing. So they're about they're about twenty minutes from each other, basically, yeah. in that sense. But that's the fascinating thing. Going back to corp, corporal punishment and and kind of uh, and why that's connected to the Brexit issue we've got at the moment. Yeah. yeah so this is the thing. We do not have a referendum on capital punishments and probably Sorry, never will capital punishment good corporal punishment uh, yeah, um, yeah that's no, that's that's the beating of children which apparently is all fine still um yeah, no not in scotland banned. Uh, not in scotland <laughs> true um no so the reason we want a referendum and there's a couple of reasons number one it, it's supposedly a prerequisite to uh, sort of your kind of eu un memberships and membership on certain councils and things that you are supposed to have abolished capital punishment, even though lots of countries actually haven't. Um, 
but the reason we won't have a referendum on it is because the government know what the result would be. People would vote to bring it back, and then you would have an absolute nightmare, exactly like we do with Brexit now, of actually implementing that in a way that it would yeah. be agreeable to Parliament. How would we do it? Would we do hanging? Would we do injections? Would we do burning alive at the stake? Would we, you know, well, I mean, and it's it's not, it's not even the technicalities like that necessarily. It's are who there do we? people in Parliament who will vote for that? You, yeah. you are directly signing a bit of paper that will kill other human beings. And I know lots of things Parliament do kill other human beings every day, but it's doing it in a much more direct and way. Yeah. And then when you've got left people in Parliament, like, you know, like, again, another example Corbyn said this week uh, with our ISIS terrorists, why aren't we arresting them and putting them in The Hague? Yeah. Um, and then people are like, What? He's a murderer. He killed people. He, he burned them alive. And, you know, we should be giving them the light of day. And you kind of think, well, what society are we in then, if that's the case? And and this is when you come to that corporal punishment, capital punishment, it, it is fucking, like, it's really scary kind of stuff, isn't it, really? It's, it's entering into a world where, yeah, that, that uh, minute hand could end up further down that clock, either side. Yeah, yeah very easily. Very easily. So the fact is, when we've got these big day issues, we shouldn't be giving them to the people. Is that is that the direction you're trying um, to go with this? It's a difficult one to say because I, I don't think more democracy can ever be a bad thing necessarily. But yeah. I think that we have to remember that we do not live in a sort of rational consensus of some sort of sci-fi ilk. You know, we're not... We're not all voting with our neural implants on a daily basis on all of our issues. We seem perfectly happy to delegate everything else about the running of the country to a parliament yeah. as a representative democracy. Yet for some reason, we have random bits of direct democracy yeah. with no real constitutional mechanism. I think there's a lot to be said for preserving I think, the integrity of a... We are a def, I know we're not a republic because we have a monarchy, but we are a de facto republic. We are ruled by laws rather than majorities. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said to pres, for preserving that system. Yeah. When... If we roll back to 2016, mm. and we look at what David Cameron was trying to achieve, just to give a bit of history and clarity here, um, so we... You, at least give us a good direction in in this conversation so they can see our opinions on this. We're going to be very one-sided, by the way, people. <laughs> um, but when we go back to 2016, he was trying to achieve reducing the amount of immigrants utilising our benefit system. And that's the deal he was trying to get from from... Uh, from the EU, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's been a long process of negotiating about new countries entering the EU and what access they get to our public health system, um, mainly because while there are other countries in Europe that do have public health systems, they're not as easily accessible and to the extent that the NHS is, so there is an argument. It's not really borne out by the figures, actually. People don't seem to do this, even though it would be perfectly logical for them to do so, uh, to come here and access the NHS to get, you know, free free healthcare where they don't have it in their home countries. It's not quite free, though, is it? Um, no, it's, it's not quite free. It's all very complicated. I'll be honest, off the do, top of my head, and I probably should know this in the sector I'm in, I don't know exactly how the access rules work at the moment, but it's so not completely free. There are countries that have a version of the health cards that we have when we go abroad. Yes, you, 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 that's it. And they then charge that particular com- 
the country. However, what the NHS is currently discovering at the moment, some countries are refusing to pay for the treatment of their own people. So it, I think one, that was one of the reasons why it was triggered, I think. Um, but that on top of that was the benefits, because at the time, people from various areas of the EU could come to the UK and literally start taking benefits from day one, I think it was. Um, yeah. What David Cameron wanted was, is it 12 months or two years? I think he was trying to negotiate. It was quite a period of time. No, so what David Cameron wanted originally was to have a pause on people from who from the newly entered country. That's correct. Uh, yes, that so was a part it, of it. it, yeah. it, it yeah. would be something along the lines of all Bulgarians must wait until 2018 before they can That's access NHS services cost-free, for example. That's it. That's it. But he got three months, wasn't it? That was the yes, deal. You've got something your... like that. I mean, the entire system is completely broken, quite frankly. It, it doesn't really work. Actually, there are some valid arguments against the EU, and this is kind of one of them. You, it's very difficult to have a nation-by-nation nation tiered level of healthcare provision free at the point of care. No, it's that's free right. movement people. Yeah. I mean, the only solution to solve that is if, you, if you're coming from the EU into the UK, you must have some form of healthcare insurance. Yeah, was, it, it should, what, what, what should be done is that it should be written into your, uh, your travel insurance, really, to cover you for this, which it usually is for people here, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, there is emergency healthcare is, is the issue. And quite frankly, I think anyone who says that people shouldn't get emergency healthcare because they're not from Britain is an idiot. Yeah, exactly. And it's the Hippocratic Oath, is that correct? Is, is that what well, it's called? Well, this is it. If you can yeah. get yourself in front of a doctor, they're pretty much duty-bound to treat you in some correct. way, shape or form. We're, we're not America. We don't lock the doors of hospitals on people. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually is a bit of a myth, and that's slightly unfair. That doesn't really happen in America either. No, they still treat you, don't they, in America? Yeah, they'll they'll treat you and then present you with a massive bill and take your house off you which yeah. is you know, it, but they hand that to the accountants and that's the thing yeah. isn't it with them um was it hillary ben was it, it hillary ben or it might have been someone even older than that they were saying that i don't like the way the nhs is going this isn't like in the 70s we seem to be hiring more and more accountants and less and less doctors mm. and it, it, and that's the sign that you're privatizing your your healthcare service and that sounds like a tony ben one that right tony ben that. sorry that's that was a tony ben that's right i would, weirdly enough i saw that on facebook the other night and i, I thought flipping hell how come i've missed tony ben i agree with him <laughs> It's very kind of weird. So you, miss him, you miss him because he's dead. No, I know. No, I mean, as in back in the day, you know what I mean? When, but I was younger. I only got into politics in the last five, six years. Mm. Really got into it. Um, for me, it triggered when Gordon Brown came into power. No, Gordon Brown. Oh, my God. It was more like 10 years then. Gordon Brown took the 10 pence tax rate off the poor. Yes. And that's when I triggered into politics. And uh, I was getting really into it. And then, um, so I, I, I'm a bit kind of, how can I put it? At the time, I was a bit kind of naive to think that the government was really good at what they were doing and they, and they sorted things and all these problems were just people moaning. And then when you kind of hear what's going on and see what's going on, you start realizing that some elements of the government is fucking inept. They shouldn't be doing what they, they shouldn't even be in power. Some people shouldn't even be in the job. Um, and that's what got me into politics. And then uh, the financial crashes happened. And that was a, that was probably my real trigger point where I was like, yeah, I'm really kind of getting into this and hearing what's going on out there. Um, and I was, I voted Lib Dem in 2010. Uh, <laughs> one of the bastards that got the Tories in, um, in 2010. And um, 
I always look back on that and think, I thought I knew what was going on, but now nine years on, truly we didn't know what we were getting ourselves in for, in my humble opinion. Um, I guess if you're listening to this and you're, you're a Tory supporter, you'd say you're completely an utter opposite. But it's, it was I'm, a, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even sure if a lot of them would. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got a number of friends who are lifelong Tory voters and are as displeased with the current situation politically as, as I think we are, as kind of, I think we probably both consider ourselves to be centralists, left or centrists. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Google. Um, yeah, I would say I'm definitely a centralist. There is so many policies and I'm politically homeless at this moment in time. Um, so yeah, so back into 2016. So David Cameron comes back and goes, well, they didn't give me what I wanted. So we're going to have a referendum mm. on whether we stay in Europe. What, what, why did he do that? What was his real intention there? Um, t- two words, kill UKIP. Um, that was it. Was basically the intention. They were they were losing too many votes to UKIP, who almost exclusively took Tory votes, or so they thought. Actually, not true in hindsight. Um, no, no, but they took two Tory votes, and, and um, so for every one Labour vote they took, they took two Tory votes. Yeah. I think it was. So there was a two for one coming out of the party. So Labour was losing voters, but they weren't hemorrhaging half as much as uh, as the Tories, um, yeah. and and that's what scared elements of the Tory party um, but what part of the Tory party because some of them actually thought this was a good thing didn't they yeah I mean whether the ERG should even be allowed to be part of the Tory party <laughs> is an ongoing topic of discussion for us because they are effectively a party within a party yeah and, that, um, and you didn't realise they existed until in the last three years, which is quite yeah, hilarious, they actually. Have. They've, all, they've always been there, just under the surface, and they yeah. actually have quite a lot of clout. Um, yeah. yeah. Was it the 80s they were created? I think it was the 80s, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, the late 80s, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I think. Off my head, I'm not sure. But... but that's always been the thing about the Tories. Throughout their history of being in power since 1973, was it the first referendum vote? They've always put pressure on our very membership with the EU and how much most of them, and a good 60-70% of them, didn't like it, didn't want it any longer. Um, but then the more pro, I'm going to call the Blairite type conservatives, the centralist conservatives like David Cameron, were pro-EU, weren't they? They were pro-European kind of European Union and working closely with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's broadly fair. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why. So 2016 came. June 2016, I remember it like it's burned in my brain because that was the year I started my business <laughs> in February 2016. And all this shit started happening. Um, so why did the people vote Brexit? What's your take on it? That's a really good question. I, th- I think it fundamentally comes down to the fact that a lot of the things that we got from the EU that were, were beneficial uh, were very poorly communicated and very poorly passed out. And it, it's kind of an example of top-down government done very, very, very badly, basically. Um, yeah. There's, it, there's very little participation in the EU on a ground level. You know, we, we participate with our parties and our system in the UK. We elect councillors general election your mp will have an office in your town you can go and see them you see them on telly all the time yeah 
the average person on the street knows nothing about the EU other than it costs lots of money, apparently. doesn't actually, by the way, but apparently it does. Yeah, yeah. How much does it really cost? Because we get uh, a massive well, we, rebate. We get a net benefit, actually, so it doesn't actually cost us anything. It costs us zero. Um, so, so, yeah. If, if you dis- discount kind of the subsidies and funding and all of that stuff that we get back uh, and kind of the, the amount of increased trade, yeah. I think it works out at something like a pound a day or something per person. That's nothing, is it? But no. when, when you, I mean, I'm being Welsh, I, I was very surprised that Wales voted Brexit because mm. when you drive around Wales, there is a, there, there's a lot of EU-funded work going on in Wales. Um, there's a big road at the top of the valleys, it's called, uh, the head of the valleys road. And that's an EU road. Now, it's slowed down a little bit because we have had, um, what was that uh, construction company that went bust this year? Uh, Carillion. Carillion, that was it. They were doing, they were on that project, they went bust. So I think they've had to bring in new contractors and it's, it's slowed a little bit. But that was all EU money. It's a big sign telling you it's EU money. So that was an improvement to the area. There's loads of stuff in Cardiff. There's loads of stuff in Swansea and West Wales as well. Very little up north, which I found very interesting, actually, in North Wales. But they still voted Brexit. And I don't understand why they did that, because Wales, of all the communities in the United Kingdom, benefited the most, more than Scotland did, Mm. of uh, the EU. So they're, like you were saying then, their um, marketing department, if that's the right word to use for, for the EU, was very poor at presenting itself yeah. to, the, to the British people. Is that purposely done, do you think? Was, was... Yes, it, I think it is to an extent. Because I think the problem is that the EU is trying to be different things to different people. There are people within Europe and a lot of countries in Europe where this is a majority view who see the EU as a natural progression of the post-Cold War European order. The natural end point of European history is the unification into a federalist state. And that's a fairly popular view. And certainly in Germany, it's certainly a very popular view. France. Uh, well. France, it's, it's reasonably evenly split. The Spanish are reasonably pro. The Italians, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Polish are reasonably in favour. You know, it's it, you've got a mixture of views there. I think the difference is that Britain has always been so so aggressively against integration of that sort yeah, of that of level, any kind, actually, yeah. any sort of actual governmental or social integration with mainland Europe is very unpopular. We don't we we don't seem to mind economic integration as much, but then we don't seem to realise what economic integration actually is, which is things like monetary union and open Inst- borders. Yeah, as institutions. Where everyone cries about them. Yep, police starts merging, and um, sometimes military uh, starts to merge as well, where where yeah. they start doing joint ventures together into certain conflicts. Which, by the way, we already have just with America. So just the fact that people people resist having an EU army, but are perfectly happy. <laughs> An entire nuclear platform that's based on American technology that the Americans can turn off if they want. On that subject of an EU army, which I didn't realise this the other day, if there was an EU army and we joined all of the, especially the 27 member states, 28 member states, sorry. Yeah, 28 member states, isn't it, at the moment. If we joined it, it would be the biggest military in the world. 
apparently. But by what? By spending, is that? I don't know if that's by people power. I think that might be by standing, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it yeah. must be, because I think the large, large military by standing army in the world is, is China. Chinese. Yeah, um, they've, they've got, was it something like 8 million of their soldiers or something? Crazy yeah. like that is huge amount. You're going to Google it now. You're going to Google it. I'm googling it right now. This is uh, this is this is how we work, by the way, people. This is how we do these things. Uh, Nine hundred and seventy-five thousand active personnel with with another million reservists, so about two million. See, we we could we could do that. This country could do that on its own. But there'd be, there'd be no point, to be honest. No. It's, it's, it's a completely stupid-sized army to have in peacetime. There's absolutely no need for it. You could fit our army, our entire armed forces, in Wembley Stadium, apparently. Yeah. Which, uh, you don't need that much of a big army. Like you say, in peacetime. When was the last big war we had? It was 1945, wasn't it? You know, it's you take away Vietnam, which is a conflict, in essence, um, and Gulf War and Afghanistan. You know, we were talking about this the other day. The amount of people that died in Afghanistan is, is tiny, is minuscule compared to... Yeah. Um, well, no, the, the the amount of invading forces that died in Afghanistan is quite, it's quite huge, yeah. But that's why I'm saying military forces, as in our own personnel, there's only a couple of hundred. That I don't, I you know, I don't. I wish we didn't lose that many. I lost one of my good friends in Afghanistan. Um, but yeah, it was it's quite interesting actually. Oh God, I was going to start saying what Dave Starkey said the other day about Poppy Day. And, I, and that's going off on a massive tangent <laughs> if we go in that direction um, about about war basically Gla- Poppy Day glamorises war it's the poppy fascists um, where you've got to wear a poppy and celebrate Poppy Day and you've got to have a two minute silence for armed forces personnel um, because uh, and, and the problem with it is that we're, we're, we're turning soldiers into victims or into uh, so- heroes and that's not right. That's Dave Starkey, by the way, the historian Dave Starkey said, um, which I found fascinating, a man of his stature. But then he did say that the Welsh shouldn't exist as well. So Yeah, he did, did say that, didn't he? He did yeah. say that you're not a real people or a country. Um, yeah, even though we are a country as of 2011. Yeah, a little bit, little bit of a uh, little bit of a, a hardliner, Dave Starkey, to be fair. Uh, kind of yeah. mental. He's about twenty-five past years on the right. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's he's a bit of a bit of a hardliner on that one. Yeah, let's get back to Brexit and and, and try to try to come up to to date as quickly as possible. We we'll just rattle through the highlights of what's gone on. So we had the Brexit. People voted Brexit because the the belief that we're better out of the EU. And then since two thousand and sixteen till well, even this very moment in time, we're still learning, aren't we? What really the EU have done for us and why we shouldn't leave um and we have this figure that looms over our head 17.4 million people mm. uh, um and then obviously we've got the infighting within the tories they don't know what they want to do they chucked the general election in 2017 out the window and chucked a massive majority brexit would be done by would have been done in march if they hadn't done that do you know that but the tories would have lost the next general election though wouldn't they instantly yeah, this this is kind of one of the big secrets at the minute. No one really wants to be the party to do Brexit because the beauty of being the party that doesn't do Brexit is you can spend the next twenty years telling everyone that the other party's deal was shit. Yeah, that was basically it, isn't it? And that's yeah. why they decided to bring out the bed, not the bedroom tax. What was the care tax? Uh, what was it called? The dementia tax. Dementia tax. That was it. Yeah, they brought the dementia tax to the to the table. Who? 
who's Tory core voters? That age group. The 60, yeah. <laughs> the 60, 55, 60, 65, 70, up to 80-year-olds. It was uh, a monumentally poor thing to put forward. It, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. But what the people don't realise is it already exists, the dementia tax. It already, because my gran had her home taken off her um, by the council to pay for her care home. Um, so when she had to live in a care home. So they needed to find some sort of money to financially fund her being in the care home. So they took the home off her. So it already exists, in essence. It's a big process, um, but you know, if the family sits down with the, with the social worker or whoever does the, the form ticket, um, it, it's, it's happening right this moment in time. So surprisingly. But they wanted to care for people in the home, didn't they? That's what they yeah. were trying to, trying to do, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, all the parties are now talking about this kind of care revolution, you know, how we deal with care, and I think it needs to happen. We need to change the system somehow. I mean, it actually works out now. If, you are, if you're not kind of taking regular medications, you can't administer to yourself, you don't have, you know, dementia or a serious disease, if you, are, if you are literally just old and frail and can't really get about your house anymore, it is actually more cost-effective for you to live full-time in a hotel than it is to be in a care home. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which hotel though? Is there a Premier Inn, or are we talking? Hill? I think we're talking like like you know you're like a Fawlty Towers kind of situation where you're permanently uh, okay. hotel. That is almost certainly cheaper for you, depending on in where in the country you are. That is likely to be cheaper than being in a care home. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I know a few people working care homes, and um, they love it. Some well, actually, let's start again. Some of them love it; they absolutely love it. But I think it's getting the right care home. And then you got some others then, and it's literally a dumping ground of people that, that the hospitals have had enough of keeping for a period yeah. of time, and they just the council seems to get their act together and find a bed for them. Um, and it just literally is a, a, a ward of 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 elderly people, and it's quite sad. But then, because my my wife used to do domiciliary care. And the stories that she used to come home with were people with real severe dementia or or like a, so kind of like arthritis and they can't move and they can't get out of their chairs are locked in their homes. And mm. you come and see them in exactly the same place you left them 24 hours ago for a 15-minute call. Yeah. Um, where you, in that 15 minutes, you've got to do personal care, give them some food, have a chat with them, a cup of tea, and off you go. Um so care in this country is very strange. I know we've got we're diverted away from Brexit for the moment, but it's all we'll come all to this in a second. It's all linked, isn't it, to where we're going to go with it all in a second. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating. So 2017, um, Theresa May threw a majority, and then we ended into what was the last time we had such a hung parliament? Was it the Second World War? Was that the last time? We had- no, we had, a, we had a government of national unity in the Second World War. Everyone was actually getting on quite well at that point. Um, well, no, just before when Chamberlain brought home, brought home uh, his, his surrender we had, deal. Um, we had uh, McDonald's government was a, a, a minority government running out, and it also ran a coalition, a national unity coalition for a while. Um, the current situation where we may end up with a home parliament where no one can form even a supply agreement is pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So there we are, 20, March 2019. Can't get the deal through. They vote an extension. Then they vote another extension. I think this is the third extension, isn't it? This yep. one? This is the third extension. It might be the fourth extension, actually. I'm sure there was two extensions they automatically did this year. 
They yeah. said it will be one, and then it automatically went to the next one, didn't it? Or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here we are. Hung Parliament. Well, it's not a hung Parliament. It's a it's a minority government, which is yeah, even worse. It's a, it's a supply agreement, which actually doesn't have enough votes anymore, hence the uh, need for an election. That's it. That's it. So we need to exercise the demons within the Parliament at the moment and start again or continue where they left off just with more numbers in the yeah. door. Um, is this what, what, This is where I want to go now with this, is connecting recruitment and business to this. You and I have been feeling some pain for the last 12 months, haven't we? Yeah. The market has been pretty shocking. Slow, very slow. Yeah, yeah. What's the general consensus from your from your end in the in the med, medical and medical devices and pharmaceutical market? Um, I mean, I, I've seen a big pickup in the market in the last kind of two months, and I think everyone's just gone. Well, you know what? We're, we're just going to go back to business as usual because this is taking forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in a bit of a unique position with obviously kind of medicines and healthcare because there's only so much that you can really move out of the UK for that. Your nurses still have to physically be here. It's you know, it's delivery of an actual in-person service. It can't be outsourced or moved overseas really uh, med devices and pharmaceutical all right you can manufacture the stuff elsewhere but actually the reality is that a lot of your doctors and scientists are in the uk and they're attached to universities in the uk with government funding it's it's quite interesting in that sector because it is one-on-one isn't it in essence yeah straight to the customer whereas manufacturing industry i work in is you know nuts and bolts so cars planes trains anything that kind of you can sit in a move or a speed with. And it's a global recession at the moment for the automotive market because of the trade war between America and uh, and China. But Brexit lately, we've heard with Elon Musk going to Germany, has slowly started creating casualties. Mm. Um, and it's it's not so much a death by a thousand cuts at the moment. There are still slices happening. And we, I don't think we realise how bad it is until we come to the other side, other side of Brexit, whether it's remaining or, or, or leaving. But Brexit has really caused some massive issues in the, in this industry. Mm. So it's, it's fascinating. I, I was trying to, um, oh, what is construction industry? And a, a good friend of mine that does recruitment very nichely within the construction industry, the nuclear part of the construction industry, decommissioning and that type of mm. that side of it. And he doesn't see Brexit as a massive effect at this moment in time until Carillion disappeared. And then suddenly he's looking for work, looking for business out there. And then he's hearing the same thing, like steel and uh, the expense of steel and, and British steel not getting a deal and um, uh, all these little things and projects have been put on hold. And he didn't realise the landscape of Brexit until this the last six months. He didn't actually realise how it's been affected. And when you dip out of the market and come back in the market, you suddenly see how bad it is. It's, it's, mm. it's, I'm painting a, a very bleak picture here. I'm not saying like all projects have stopped, but what's happened? Everyone's holding their breath, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's what's happened. It's not a recession, which is weird, which is why we just narrowly saved ourselves from a recession quite recently. Um, so it's fascinating. I want to talk about I want to talk about these where we are politically um, yeah. as of the fifteenth of the eleventh, twenty nineteen. Where what what are you feeling 
in the in the political parties at the moment? Is one party more Brexit-esque, or is one party more talking about services and what they're going to do for the people, or are they all talking the same game? I mean, the Labour Party is trying to run an election campaign that has nothing to do with Brexit, really. Um, Free broadband. They, they don't have a stance on Brexit, really. They're, a party that has a majority of supporters who want to remain, but a significant minority who do not. They have a number of swing constituencies which are very heavily leave-based. They can't afford to lose them. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's in, it's. I was going to say it's really interesting that Labour's Brexit policy is three lines long. Tory Brexit policy is a book. Yeah. Um, which is the, well, I, think, the, I think the, the, the most disenfranchised people at the moment, the people who've got the roughest deal out of all of this, are Remain voting Tories. Yeah. They're yeah. just not represented at all. I mean, I mean, God bless them, you had Ken Clark, who was really, really trying to make an impassioned case for the EU and was treated atrociously by the Conservative Party. What they've done to him is absolutely monstrous. Was it Ken Clark that said, if you hold two bowls of rice... I think it might have been someone else, actually. But you hold two bowls of rice. One's got 52% of the bag, and the other one's got 48% of the bag. And you look at it, tell me which one is the, is the greater one. And you, yeah. it's, it's such a, a minuscule amount. And, and he was saying that this is the way we're looking at Brexit at the moment. You're ignoring the 48% of the bag of rice, and you're just concentrating on this 52% bag of the rice. Yeah. Um, and... And we need to bring that forty-eight percent back in, and this is why Parliament is so hung, and so and the, the people are still split. Um, uh, and you're right; I think that the biggest, the biggest, well, culprits, wrong word to use, the biggest uh, people affected is that centre ground of the Tory Party, which mm. is that's why you're seeing them walk across the floor to the Lib Dems, isn't it? Yeah. This, this is exactly it. And I think a really good representation of that kind of centre ground of the Tory party, and actually someone who did not get enough credit at the time, is uh, is Rory Stewart, who uh, at no point said that he wanted to cancel Brexit, because I think the man is fundamentally a democratic parliamentarian. He believes that you should do what people vote for, and you should do it legally and properly using parliaments. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a perfectly reasonable view to take. You know, I'm, I'm not completely against that view. I understand that more people voted leave than remain, and actually, we should probably should have some sort of an agreement that that represents that. But the fact that this has now been taken as 52% of the population voted to leave, that means we have a complete clean break with the EU, a hard Brexit. We have election after election until we get a, get a parliament that's right wing enough to pass whatever Boris Johnson wants. Yeah. Yeah, but then the people that voted Brexit will, will suffer from a very right wing. Yes, um, everyone will suffer from from an incredibly hard Brexit because it's it's unnecessary and yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I'm not liking what I'm hearing at the moment. Nigel Farage was on the radio and on Question Time last night. Um, they were talking about how uh, Tory, not Tory, again, Brexit party members were being approached by Downing Street and given mm. bribes is the lack mm. of a better word, or allegedly given bribes, I should say. Allegedly given bribes, peerages and money and jobs, to, um, if they stand down in the constituencies they're in. And if that's true, then that's horrible, horrible situation that we're currently in then, just to push through Brexit. Yeah, and, it's, a, it's a fairly sad indictment to the state of affairs when they're trying to make 
kind of shady, seedy backroom deals to stand down candidates is, is pretty poor, really. It is. Well, when you look at it, kind of, for the, you know, I'm, I'm not a Brexit party supporter, both, you know, I'm not a, a supporter of Brexit, but it is their democratic right to stand. Yeah. And you, we talk about Jeremy Corbyn being friends with Venezuela and, and loving that type of kind of Marxist kind of world, which we could talk oh. about all day long, which he's not. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'm not a Jeremy Corbyn supporter, don't, don't get me wrong. But that's exactly what they do in Venezuela by bribing and scaring and worrying and, and, and uh, putting candidates in positions of which they have to stand down. That's, yeah. that's worrying, don't you think? Yeah, it, it is. I think that the level of control that the Central Conservative Party in particular are trying to exercise, actually Labour are doing this more and more as well, particularly with the influence of momentum, the level of control that central organisations are trying to exert over who stands as an MP yes. is really, really worrying. Uh, that the only ones who are handling it very well at the minute are the Lib Dems. We've always had a very strong tradition of having very limited control over their individual MPs and candidates. And actually, as long as you can kind of meet the criteria and go through the proper yeah. process, the, the yeah. leader of the Liberal Democrats has no real power to discipline or dismiss their own MPs. It's not part of what they do. Yeah, that was one of Mick Campbell's ideas, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, where you it's more of a collective agreement than a, than a top-down kind of in the sense of liberal and democratic uh, really isn't it in the sense of the name of the party which is interesting talking about the Lib Dems revoking Brexit they'll never be able to do that will they? No no they won't so what have they really got then if that's the sense uh, are they going to attract remain voters to the to their to their fight enough to be able to influence this is a very big question, isn't it? Will the Lib Dems actually get enough seats to have any real say? Possibly, but it's a very outside chance still. Um, the, the Labour Party are not going to get enough seats to form a government in their own rights election. It's almost impossible for that to happen. Um, I was saying this to you the other day. I think Labour and Tories are going to be split 250-250. I, I, they're going to be around about the same amount of seats. And it will fall down to... A, it won't be a coalition. We were saying this the other day. It'll be an electoral pact, won't it? It'll be a, um, what did you call it? I've forgotten the name of it now. Where they just become an alliance. Party are historically better at campaigning than the Tories are. They they can mobilise more people to do so. They always have been able to. That would leave us with the Tories about ten seats short of a majority, which is the exact position we're in at the minute. Yeah. 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 The only no. thing that will change there is that the Alliance Party are likely to pick up a couple of Northern Irish seats off the back of the DUP, so the DUP will no longer be sufficient on their own to form a supply agreement. Oh, tell the listeners a little bit who the Conservative Party's real name is, by the way, which I didn't know this. Um, oh, yeah. So the, the Conservative Party, actually, I'm not sure. I think I believe it's... Name now is just the Conservative Party. Party, but it used it's, to historically, be it's really the Conservative and Unionist Party because yeah. the Irish issue is, you know, less so now unless you're actually in Northern Ireland. But certainly, historically, obviously, was a, a major factor, and it was a key tenant of the Tory Party that they protected the Union. It's why the DUP will give them a supply agreement, that's right, and nobody else because they are, even though all of the major UK 
mainland UK parties are unionist parties. None of them have an official policy of getting rid of Northern Ireland and giving it back to the Republic or making it an independent country. Yeah. The Tories are seen very much historically as the defenders of that union. It's amazing, isn't it? And then the, the Labour Party is the cooperative party, isn't it? The Labour and Cooperative Party. It is, yes. The, and the, it's still the, called the, that. No, the Labour Party is not the Labour and Cooperative Party. The Cooperative Party is a separate organisation, but it only fields candidates in collaboration with the Labour Party. Labour Party, that's right. Labour and Cooperative MP. But yes. not all Labour MPs are also Cooperative MPs. So there will be Labour MPs. And then my favourite is the SNP, and they're probably as left-wing as Corbyn is, and nobody realises it. Which well, the SNP is, are the Labour Party in Scotland. That's all the, they are. It is the Scottish... Yeah, they have no distinct political identity beyond Scottish independence. They have no real distinct policies from the Labour Party at this stage. That's it. That's it. I could go on about Plaid Cymru, but Plaid Cymru, again, is just a Lib Dem party in Welsh. Um, they don't get any votes, so no one really cares. My, my friend Leanne Wood, who's an MP, she's my friend because she talks to me on Facebook, by the way, just yep. to let you know. Uh, my friend yeah, Leanne Wood. Showing off. Yeah, no, I'm showing off. Uh, lovely lady, don't get me wrong, and, and Plaid Cymru. And if I was in Wales, I'd probably vote Plaid Cymru purely because there's some really good MPs in Plaid. Yes. But um, I feel for them because bit like the EU, they don't sell themselves very well in Wales because they've always been seen as the nationalist party. Um, and there was, being a, a semi-Welsh speaker from West Wales, nationalist parties were seen as a, either as the good guys, depending on where you lived, or the bad guys. And there weren't enough good guys to vote for them. And time has moved on now. Leanne doesn't speak Welsh. There's a few of them who don't even speak Welsh. And, and Plaid Cymru is just really now a, a liberal democratical party with some tendencies to go quite as far left as Corbyn, especially on NHS issues. Um, I, I mean, they're the right party for Wales right now. If they got more seats in uh, the Senate or, or, in, or in Parliament, I think they could influence very similar to what the SNP are doing at the moment, but they just don't have enough. They just don't have enough. And I never understood why people vote Tory in Wales as well, because they've done nothing for the Welsh Tories. Never understood no, that. Absolutely nothing historically. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Labour's different. My parents were Labour voters, and they always swore by Labour. And I asked my mum the other day who you who you're voting for, and especially because she, she hears me moan about how business is slow and everything, and she voted Brexit. And she goes, well, who should I vote for? She said, it's the first time ever she asked me that question. Who should I vote for? And I was like, well, do you want Brexit to happen? And she goes, I don't know anymore. I really don't know. It looks like a big mess, she said to me. And I said, well, if you don't want, you know, who's the strongest candidate in the area that wants to remain? And she said, well, it's probably going to be Labour, isn't it? And I said, there we go. That's who you vote for then. Don't vote for Tories. And she said, I'll never vote for them. And, then, and uh, I said, is there a Brexit party? There was a Brexit party member. Um, I think he stood down now. Um, and uh, she goes, I said, well, do you want Brexit to happen? Vote Brexit party. I wouldn't vote for them either. So she's kind of left with what she used to vote for, which was Labour anyway. Um, I found it fascinating. I said, well, what applied? Oh, they're too nationalist. And it still hangs to this day. Oh, they're too nationalist. Um, which scares Welsh people for some reason. I think they looked over the, over the water at Ireland. I think that's what happened there. And saw what was going on over there with the nationalist parties. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh, the issue <laughs> of the Irish border <laughs> over there. So yeah, I found that fascinating. So who do you think you you made a prediction just then? It's going to be another hung parliament. Which direction? Yeah. Which direction do you think? Uh, I I think 
depending how many seats, I think the Tories will be a couple of seats short. It depends how many seats short that is. If it's less than 10, they can probably do exactly what they've done this time with the DUP, although that might scupper their Brexit deal. Um, yeah. The problem is anything other than that, it's very hard to see who else would go into coalition with them. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because they won't... Lib Dems are not going to do it again, are they? Are they? I doubt it. It'd be very, very foolish if they did because the Lib Dems are much closer aligned to Labour than they are to the Tories at this point. As much as they go... Should I tell the listeners my theory of Joe Swinson and what she's doing? My theory. So, Joe Swinson is saying, hey, Remainers, come and vote for us. We'll revoke Brexit. Gathers all the Remainers up so then they know that the people who vote for Lib Dem are more than likely going to be Remain. Some of them are going to be Brexit, but they're not going to be pro-Brexit. They're going to be kind of on the fence. And then 13th of, of December comes and Tories are short and Labour's short. But during the campaign, she's been saying, no, I'm not going to join Labour. We're never going to go in coalition. I reckon when December 13th comes and Labour's short of the same amount of MPs that the Liberal Democrats have, she will do a deal with, with Labour. It won't be a coalition because it got burned last time. Um, but she will do a deal with them. She won't do it with Tories because Tories have a Brexit plan. How are you going to convince your Remain vote following that you're going you're gonna to join forces with the Tories? How are you going to yeah. convince them? You are going to destroy the Liberal Democrats party and you're not going to exist in the next general election if you do that. Mm-hmm. So tactically, her only direction is to join forces with with Labour and possibly SNP is going to join forces with them because SNP has been dangled that carrot of, of, uh, of what do they call it? Scottic? What? No, referendum? Refi two? Uh, yeah, Indie Ref two. Indie Ref two. That's it. Yeah, because they've been dangled that carrot in the next couple of years if Labour was in power. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Absolutely extraordinary where we're at at the moment in politics. Has to, there's a question for you there because you've been a political um, student of politics, I should say, with a degree in it. Has Parliament been this this split in the history of Parliament? In in what sense? So we've 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 got there's no centre ground anymore, really, is there? And if there was, right. then you'd be taking MPs from Labour and Conservative and creating a new party if you did that. But it's so it's the the gap in the middle is so vast now that you can physically see it in Parliament. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think your issue is that actually you have a lot of MPs, particularly your older MPs who've been there for a while, who still occupy that middle ground. They've just been completely pushed out of the leadership of both parties at this stage. Yeah, that's a good point. But we haven't yeah. been in this scenario, have we, since since ever, or or have we? And uh, sorry, I had an email come in and two completely distracted me. Um, and, and we've never really had this scenario in our history, have we? Because when, we, like you said, with we had a, a government of unity during the Second World War, I presume during the First World War as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously under Thatcher, Parliament was pretty strongly divided. Um, I mean, your issue there was slightly different in that you weren't trying to push through something that. Your government MPs didn't New like. That was, that was the issue there, I think. Um, yeah. Bloody technology. Yeah. <laughs> Mastling in on us. So, um, 
kind of ending this this super cool, interesting podcast that's going to be in my top three. Um, <laughs> Brexit, is it going to happen? Mm, Your guess. Question. Yeah. Uh, I think it will probably happen, but I don't think it'll be Boris Johnson's deal. I agree with you on that one. I think it's going to happen, but not in the next two years. No, I, I think we will probably end up with some sort of single market agreement. I think it's about the only thing that would be in yeah. way palatable to... To, to, yeah, to remain as like me and you. If we left the EU but remained in the single market, I wouldn't be unhappy with that situation. Yeah, I mean, I thought it'd remain. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was almost convinced by Gove's expression saying that this will be the easiest deal in the history of trade deals. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went, oh, actually, I like the idea of that. And then the evidence started coming in about how bad it would be if we left the EU. And the evidence was quite recent as well in, 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 that, in that argument that we had. But I felt the Remain fight passion back then wasn't very strong enough. And then, uh, you know, it, it, they, they offered Norway plus or Canada plus plus and all these type of deals. And I thought, okay, that, that's interesting. And then it suddenly occurred to me, we're talking about the Tory government here. They can't negotiate it. A running of a tap you know what i mean yeah. it, it, it's it's um, this is why i'm voting remain i'd rather the status quo i'd rather being in the single market and the customs union and i'd rather be there now doing this and, and spending money on it than listening to them negotiate it so i feel a little bit more better if there was a a labor or a centralist party running it to push brexit through my prediction is um, like I said, it could be two years if we don't get a second referendum. If we get a second referendum next year, I think there's going to be a lot of shock on people's faces um, where we go with that afterwards. Mm. I, um, my 77-year-old Brexiteer tabloid-reading neighbour, um, he said to me, I've had enough of Brexit. I'm not even voted in this general election. And if there's another referendum, I don't give a crap. They can stay for all I care. I'm going to be dead soon, was his exact words. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many other people are feeling like that, that voted Brexit. That's a very good question, isn't it? I, I think turnout this election will be poor. I think it's going to be low. Um, I, yeah. I think if we have another referendum, the turnout will be lower than the first one. Um, I, I think any vote you hold at this point, you were going to see decreasing voter turnouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating one. But I wrote a blog on this, and I said it just something needs to happen because it's got to get done, or we're going to have some alternative solution to what's going on because I think it's gone on too long now, um, and the system needs a good fucking shake. <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, James. Thanks for your political Thank rantings. You well. We will, uh, we'll, if this is as popular as I hope it is, we'll have another one. <laughs> we should do one as the election goes on, though. We should do another one in a month, uh, which would be, oh, no, no, in a month, because the election will be over. Actually, we could do, couldn't we? We could talk about... Um, we, need, we need to do one on the 11th of December. We need to do an ele- a pre-election day prediction. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, and looking at the polls. Yeah, Actually, we'll, we'll crack out the polls when that happens. And uh, we'll, um, 
We'll do, See, we'll do some numbers. We'll do some facts and figures. Facts and figures for your election. Everything to do with it. Um, and we're not the media, so we could be as biased as hell. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy, James. Speak to you soon. Right, Take care. Bye.